This is in volume four in the letters of the Rebbe. And this is during the period where the Rebbe, the previous Rebbe has passed away. And uh, the Rebbe has not yet officially accepted the leadership. So we started over here. And th- this is all in the period uh, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Rosh Hashanah. It starts from the beginning of the year. So, okay, we're, we're heading towards the beginning of the year anyway. So these, these are letters that the Rebbe wrote uh, to people. Now, this sometimes the Rebbe would call what they call a... Uh, there, were, there were basically three, three styles of letters. Uh, in addition to answers, various different forms, but uh, there were three styles of letters. One was just a personal letter. Somebody sent the Rebbe a letter, the Rebbe sent it back to him. Then there was a general letter, which the Rebbe would send out before the holiday, and that was addressed to the Jewish people. So that was to everyone. And then there's what's called a Kloli Proti, that's a general but an individual, which means the Rebbe would send that same letter to various different people, and he would sort of adjust some of the writings of the letter for each one. But it was a general letter. And so this, this one is like this. So here, the Rebbe is uh, writing to um, this, this, this person, saying, Shalom Ubracha. And, uh, and this is the letter number, Tovshin Samachtes, which is 769. And it's dated on the eve of Shabbos Teshuva in the year Tovshin Yudalov, uh, 5710. Uh, <laughs> Um, or 5711, uh, which was 1949 still, you know, it was 1949. And um, the Rebbe is, is sending him a, they, they published a uh, Mimer, a Hasidic discourse, a Kuntras uh, for the Shabbos Teshuva to be studied uh, for Yom Kippur. And the Rebbe says, I'm sending you one copy, but you should sort of, uh, make sure that other people can study it and be uh, give other people the opportunity in your surrounding. And the best situation is make a gathering and learn it together as a group, everybody together. Um, and the Rebbe, for, huh? 1951. It's already 51 now. 5711. Yeah, but that was, but, but, it, but this was in September probably, October, by the high holidays. So it was still in 49, and then, oh, 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 no, 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 you're right, 1950, yes. 50. It was 50, 50 I'm sorry, 1950. Yeah, yeah it was still 50. It was still 1950, because it turned around, 51 yeah. is about Hanukkah, you know, whenever, in December, so that's later on. Yeah. Um, so he says, the Rebbe brings down from the, um, the various different uh, sources over there, he says that we have... Uh, we have the level, what's called the upper level of teshuva. Um, we, we had it also um, earlier. Um, there is teshuva, repentance. Most people interpret it. If you do something wrong, then you repent or you regret. But sometimes teshuva has a deeper meaning. It means to return, to bring back. Uh, in this case, it would mean um, to take all your... Uh, powers that you have of your soul and to gather them all together and sort of bring them back to Hashem in a way that is, you purify them and you make them wholesome. And um, there was um, there was a, um, um, a statement given by our sages. They say that um, there is a question, who is on a higher level? Is a person who is righteous, who has never made a mistake and always did the right thing? Or a person who made a mistake and then he comes back. Who's who's greater of the two? Uh, in the Talmud, there's a discussion about that, but it, it seems like the ruling is that in the place where the 
Baal Teshuva, the place where the one who returns stands, even a great tzaddik who is a complete tzaddik cannot stand, which means a person who has strayed and come back is on a higher level. But Rebbe brings down here that it's mainly when you do the upper level of Teshuva, which is the uh, bringing your powers back, and it's called Toshev Enish. Uh, it's a verse in the... Uh, in, uh, in in the Tehillim, meaning to return. People return and they bring back. Uh, they bring back to Hashem, meaning they bring back, they bring closer, because we all, our soul comes from God, and but sometimes it gets scattered and it gets fragmented, and we got to sort of collect all those fragments and, and bring them back. Um, and in addition to that, you know, on, on, on Rosh Hashanah, and during the period of the uh, high holidays, it's a time when you, everybody gets together. Like uh, you have uh, the leaders and you have uh, the simple folks, you know, like when you come to shul, it's based on a verse. And the verse, it says, the verse says the leaders, it goes, counts to 10 different categories from the greatest amongst the Jewish people all the way down to the bottom of the levels. But the fact is um, that when we are coming to crown Hashem, make Him our King, because on Rosh Hashanah what we do is we say to God, you're our King. So before our King, before God, we're all the same. We may be thinking of ourselves as bigger than somebody else or more talented, more capable. Okay, that's on the level that we're now. But when we're coming in the presence of the King, we are really totally subjugated. We are really of no big value because in the presence of the king, we're all like simple people. None of us are, are any better than anybody else. We're all the same. And that's why it says, there's a verse that says, that when by the Yishurim, by the Jewish people, when they're king in Hashem, then you get everybody together. When everybody gets together, all together, all the tribes of Israel, the simple people, it's like at a time in the shul, like we see what happens in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, everybody uses the same prayer book, everybody uses the same, you know, everybody prays to Hashem, it's all the same, you don't see, it, maybe when you study the Talmud, some people can study better than others, but when you're praying, and when you're in shul, everybody is together, we're all equal. Um, so he says, the, um, there is a great thing about uh, teshuva today. You know, in the olden days, in the time of the Torah was given, there were certain penalties. Uh, there were penalties that based in would the court, the high court would rule. Sometimes there were capital offenses. Uh, and let's say if a person uh, violated something that which is a capital punishment, okay, by the Torah, and then he repented, and he regretted, he repents, and he, but the court doesn't accept repentance. The court doesn't know about repentance. Repentance is only to God, but the court can't, if the court feels, it's like today. I mean, if the court will sentence somebody to the death sentence, let's say you killed somebody. It doesn't matter if you repented, you regret, it doesn't matter if you changed your way around, it doesn't matter. The court, the ruling is whatever it is, it's real. If you go, if you did committed a crime and you're on death row, we don't care if you became a religious, we don't care what you're doing now. You're this is because why? Because I mean Lahavdal. I mean we're talking about the court of the Baitin. Baitin doesn't change the rules because 
we can only see what we see and externally. We don't see the heart, but God sees the heart. God knows what goes on in you. God can forgive you. If God sees that you are regretting, that you're feeling bad, he, he does forgive you because to him it's open, those things, what is going on inside. So the fact that now, days, we don't have a court and we don't have a bait din, and there is no penalties. There's no penalties from Beisden at all. So, therefore, um, we have actually an advantage. Because even though God may have, in his own ways, giving out punishments, the din of Dalit misses, um, but a person, if he, if he repents, he, God forgives him. And there would be no... Uh, no mark left over, no, nothing left over from your previous thing. So we have an advantage today that we can sort of make up everything and not be punished. Uh, so he says, uh, the, um, that there's also um, um, we know Yom Kippur is a day of atonement. Just the day itself, you know, there's various different view, but we accept that just the day of Yom Kippur itself. If you fast in Yom Kippur, and the day forgives uh, is an atonement for the person. But um, sometimes there are certain limitations. Even on Yom Kippur, there's limitations. What would be the limitation? Like for example. Um, Sometimes a person, uh, um, let's say, uh, didn't violate a full amount. For example, uh, to uh, eat, um, to eat not kosher. For example, you have to eat the size of an olive. If you eat the size of a half an olive, small piece, um, then uh, you didn't really. Um, you, you, don't, you don't get the punishments of the Torah. It's not considered enough. There has to be everything in the Torah. There has to be a quantity. There's always, everything has a shear. It's called a, a, a shear. What happens if you don't have the shear? Or another example over here, um, let's say if a person deserves a punishment, but he didn't sin. I don't know that would, that how, that, how that would be, but he brings out from the Talmud. Uh, Yom Kippur, Forgives a sin, doesn't forgive punishment. It's interesting here. He quotes from the Talmud. I got to look up the Talmud and the Tosis over there. He says, Can there be an instance, a person getting a penalty without having committed a sin? Because maybe to commit a sin, you need uh, to qualify it as a sin. But maybe you still get, I don't know how, I have to look it up. He gives you a source over here. But with the point, what he wants to say, but even Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur has certain limitations. It has a limitation because even it forgives, but sometimes it does, it's not going to help you. But when you have the repentance and Hashem sees that you then there is nothing that stands in the way of teshuva. Then you can actually be forgiven for everything. And the Rebbe concludes his letter, this one, uh, that each one of us should be fulfilled by them, the blessing of my father-in-law. And it's interesting that during the year when of passing, 
of a parent, or in this case his father-in-law, the Rebbe, you add a word at the end, you say, may I be an atonement for his resting. In other words, you are sort of accepting that's an expression. So the Rebbe says, he would customarily bless the people that would go into the Yom Kippur. This was the language he would customarily say to the people. Now notice, the Rebbe is not saying his own language. He's saying, this is what my father-in-law used to say. That's what he's quoting his father-in-law. He says that Hashem should arouse us with a true arousal of repentance from the depth and the innermost points of our heart. And may we merit, Rabbi says, the promise, the fulfillment of the promise, that as soon as the Jews will repent, they will be redeemed. So we're going to get the redemption if we repent. So the Rabbi says, I bless you, and I want to be blessed from you. The Rebbe says, I bless you, and I want to be blessed for being sealed and a complete good sealing, because this was already after Rosh Hashanah. Before Rosh Hashanah, you say, to be written. But after Rosh Hashanah, for Yom Kippur, you're sealed. In between. In between. So the Rebbe is saying about this sealing over here, writing his name and his mother's name. And the Rebbe says that the people send a note to the Rebbe. A lot of time it's tradition to send a note to the Rebbe. Uh, and that's usually sent to the Rebbe. But they, they send to the Rebbe, they send what's called the pan, a pidyon nefesh. Similar when you go to the Ohel, you would write a pan, a pidyon nefesh. That means a redemption of the soul. That's a note to the Rebbe. So before Rosh Hashanah, people would send a note to the Rebbe so that the Rebbe should pray for them during Rosh Hashanah, should pay, pray for them as well. So the Rebbe said, I did receive your... Pan, your pidyon nefesh, also the students. I did read them before on the eve of Rosh Hashanah on the oil, on the gravesite of the Rebbe. And on Rosh Hashanah itself, I read it in the Rebbe's room, in the, my father-in-law's room. I read it over there. So the Rebbe is saying to them, he's not taking himself the credit, he's giving the credit to his father-in-law. I read it over there. And throughout the Rebbe's leadership, the Rebbe always referred back the Rebbe was his father-in-law. <laughs> That's what the Rebbe, never, never attributing to himself any of the thing. Uh, the Rebbe also writes. Did he ever? When he did his father-in-law, but did he ever do the other previous? No, rabbis? just his father-in-law. Just his father-in-law. That was the Rebbe. So he says that I mean, the Rebbe would speak about them, the greatest. But, but, but not in the same way. Not in the, the Rebbe was the Rebbe. That was his Rebbe. And the Rebbe says that I received your letters. And you must have received my also letter, Rabbi says in the middle. And um, so now he writes about something. I don't see exactly what he's writing, but the Rebbe adds and says to him, you should study the Hasidic teachings. Especially, the Rebbe says, you should set up a time to study the teachings of my father-in-law. Again, the Rebbe says, again, teaching them. And also to publicize it, to sp- spread it out, make sure that other people study it. So then he says, we are all, the Rebbe says, on the Rebbe's shoulders. We are sort of, we're on his back. He's the one that is responsible. And he'll do what he needs to do and what David needs to do. I am getting a hint from there that he was sort of pushing the Rebbe also about something about the Rebbe being Rebbe or something like that. And the Rebbe sort of responds, you know, we're doing what the Rebbe says. I'm not sure, it doesn't say over here. And um, 
Again, like I said, this was a letter that was sent out to various different people uh, as a general and public letter from the Rebbe. Okay.